0: Good morning, everyone. Saints, holy ones of God, through Jesus himself. Awesome, awesome. Got a special treat this morning. I asked Michael Bean to share, asked Michael and his wife, Rocky, to speak this morning, but uh, Travis is not feeling too well, so Rocky's with Travis. But Michael Bean is here with his family and from Guatemala. Uh, Just can't say enough about Michael. Um, Just such a loyal friend and and a brother who really gets the finished work of Christ and just, uh, he's, he's been saved from more machetes and machine guns and mosquitoes and, uh, in the jungles and mountains of Guatemala than you can imagine. That was kind of clever, wasn't it? I thought about that this morning. I was shaving and thinking, what can I say clever? Hey, machete, machine guns, mosquitoes. But it's true. They have stories of angelic, really God delivering them from all kinds of danger and Things that one day, I hope he writes a book, he probably will, that will explain and show things that has happened with their family as they've taken the gospel to the mountains and the jungles of Guatemala. Um, so I'm really glad that Michael's here to, to share some thoughts with us. Um, before Michael comes up, I want to just remind everyone, just uh, was thinking this, we've been talking about the righteousness of God. And I thought about this thought that um, that just want to encourage you to remember that in... Um, in Abraham's day, they had this, they had imputed righteousness, but we have something better than imputed righteousness. We have imparted righteousness, imputed righteousness, got them to Abraham's bosom through faith, but imparted righteousness, righteousness through the new creation gets you into heaven. It's awesome. So just remember that the truth that um, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, That we are not just reckoned righteous in Christ, but we are a new creation. And he has literally made us actually righteous by this new creation. And the power of sin that still resides in our mortal body has been separated from the real you. So that though sin still reigns in our body, the members of our body at times. Because we don't always walk in the spirit, sometimes we walk after the flesh. But as we're learning how to walk in the spirit, the spirit puts to death the deeds of the body because that's not the real you. So be encouraged that um, this new reality is is just so awesome. Um, Okay, cool. So uh, Michael wants to come on up here and. uh One thing about that um, I just love about Michael is that. He he's uh, he and Rocky and his family they've been you know missionaries to Guatemala for years. We, we met Rocky and Michael um, about twenty years ago, 1992, and ever since then we've been good friends and just sharing the gospel together and so forth. But um, what's really cool is that he 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 and Rocky though, though missionaries just don't come across like missionaries, which is great because the typical missionary comes across like you know. Look at us and, you know, we're like, you know, this and, you know, you're that and give money to us so we can be that and you can be this or whatever. Like a dichotomy between the two. But they're just so down to earth and so real and just so approachable and so friendly and so full of love and so full of grace. And they're just they're just so awesome. So I can't say enough about Rocky and Michael. And so anyway, anyway,
1: it's an honor for me to be here. Um, Rocky couldn't. Travis, my little boy, had th- 103 all night last night. And we're like, so he's at home with my wife. But anyway, I came and I just want to say it's an honor for me to be here. I've been through the years. Some of you may have know who we are. Some of you don't. But uh, it is an honor to be a part of what James is doing and to, and to and to back up and support and affirm what what he's teaching as far as the grace of God. We've had 20 years to live it out, 20 years of of receiving the revelation. It's kind of weird because um, our call is to go to the jungles, to go to... we, we We have a call to holistically share the gospel with people that are off the grid. They're on the list of extinction and they're falling into eternity. And our heart is to bypass all of civilization, go to the ends of the earth, and then jump off and on the way down to find those people that that aren't getting any help from anywhere. And uh, it comes in ways of school. We start schools. We start clinics. We, uh, we start with, you know, saving them from the immediate dying sicknesses and diseases to long-term health, changing the, the, reversing the course of, uh, of starvation, malnutrition, all that stuff. So when we go out to these places, they're very hard to get to, and they're very few, but they're out there. So we exert extreme energy to find these places and then we spend the next 20 years of our lives trying to fix their problems. And you know, we go out there and there's these little huts and they're illiterate people. No one in their entire lineage have ever been able to read and write. And we go out we get everybody together and we say, <coughs> we want we to let you know who we are. We are here because when you go out of your little hut at night and your children are starving and you can't feed them. And when they're sick and they're dying or have died, And your wife is beyond hope. And you look up into the stars and you say, God, if you're real, please help me. And almost always when we say that, we see nods all through the little group of people. We say, well, when you pray that prayer, God sent us. God sent us and we are here to serve you. We're here to give our lives for you. We come from another part of the world and we prayed and we asked God, God, where do you want us to go? And he led us to your country. Way down in South America, in Central America, and then when we prayed again after having arrived in Guatemala, we said, "God, who in Guatemala really needs you? Who really needs you? Who's crying out for you?" And then He brought us to this river or this mountain, and as we walked, or hiked, or four wheeled, or took boats through your area, we've kept praying, "God, who really needs you?" And we just want to let you know that God brought us right here to your village, and we want to we want to serve you. We want we want you to allow us to serve you, allow us to help you. And we have a motto because usually when you get that far out and you're off, you know, there's no telling what they might believe about us. First, we're Martians from another land. The conquistadors came 200 years ago and enslaved our ancestors and now these guys are showing up again. Who knows? But in their minds, they're trying to protect themselves, especially the men of the village. So we have a motto. We have a motto. Give them a reason not to kill you before you try to convert them. (laughs) And it's worked because we spent 30 years doing it, but it's not been easy, but we're still alive. And uh, so we take the gospel with doctors and dentists and teachers and education, and we build roads to them and electric systems and unbelievable long-term thing. But it all started when I met God. It all started on the side of the road in Texas. I was coming home from a bar. I always believed in God, but uh, it's kind of a Lutheran mentality because I went through the confirmation thing, so I learned the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments and all that. I learned so much about the Bible, I learned exactly that I was the exact opposite of what I should be. And I was doing the exact contrary to what God wanted for, for my life. And I always lived with the expectation that sooner or later I was going to cross, turn the corner, and when I least expect it, God's going to be there with a baseball bat and He's going to let me have it. And... So, one night in desperation, because I was so sick and tired of living like my life drinking bars seven nights a week, I was so sick and tired of it, seeing my parents and my oldest cousin and everybody in the same thing. You go until you slam against the wall and your whole life's just a ruin. And then, and then you know. So, anyway, I could drive it home, still the happiest guy in the world, but man, I'm so sick of this. I, I so wish I could change my life. So, I thought, you know what? I'm going to pull off the side of the road and ask God. So I was so desperate for change, I pulled off, got on my knees, raised the beer up to God, and I said, God, I hate this. I hate it. But I said, God, if you change me, if you change me, I'll serve you the rest of my life. I was so desperate for change that I was willing to summon my worst nightmare, God himself. But I was so desperate. I cried out. You know why he showed up? I felt his presence. Uh, to bypass the long story, but I... I, I he didn't audibly show up, but I had a little New Testament that Gideons gave me like three years before and uh, in school, so I put it under my seat for good luck to you know, ward <laughs> off the enemy. So I had under- it has been there three years, hadn't seen it since, but I knew it was there because I was still alive. So anyway, I pulled that out and dusted it off and I threw it open and put my finger down. You probably have never done that. I did. I turned the light on. Bible one had beer in the other, in a truck on the side of the road, and it was my finger landed on Mark eleven, twenty four. When you pray. If you believe, you shall have whatever you desire. And when I read that, it's like it so pertained to me and where I was that it was, it was shocking. First, first initial response was, wow, the God that runs the whole universe is right here next to me in my little truck on the side of the road. I can't believe it. Then immediately it's like, uh-oh, now what? I, <laughs> what am I going to do now? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. And fear set in. And it's like panic. Because he's ultimate holiness, I'm ultimate sinner, right? Oh, my God, what am I going to do? Fear. Unbelievable. Boom, boom, boom. My heart is just beating. And all of a sudden, then God showed up. He literally, I felt him, came right there. And a mantle of peace went on all, all over me, covered me. And, and internally removed all of the fear, all of this, everything. And you know what it was? It was... He was a I I met, I encountered him. And he was the least he was so far from what I learned in the Old Testament and Ten Commandments, he's so far far different from that, that actually his presence was happy. His presence was peaceful. His presence was all your life I've waited for you to do this. All your life I've been right here in this truck, just hoping that you would turn to me. And he put his hands on me and he said three words that changed the course of my life changed my understanding of religion and it it commissioned me for the rest of my life and those three words were I love you and when God said it you know how he gives you the full explanation it's like a download of it wasn't I love you now that you repent. I love you now that you finally, you dog, you finally came to the end of yourself. I've held you under my foot all this time and finally you gave up. You raised a white flag. You surrendered. No. It was, I've always loved you. I have never in a second of your life not loved you. And you know what else, what else came by that download? It was, no matter what you do from this day forward, I will never love you less right now. Ever. I wasn't raised Catholic. A lot of my friends were. They did the repentance, clean up, confession, get right, go back, hit it again Monday morning, screw up by Wednesday, confession on Sunday, go back in, confession. I didn't live that. I met God, not on the pew, I met him on the side of the road. And when he said, I love you, I believed that. When he said, I am for you, I believed it. didn't have a whole lot of theology behind that. But I got out of that truck and poured out that beer. And I said, I'm ready. God, you are so awesome. You are so unbelievable. This is it. I'm serious. I'm going the rest of my life to tell the world about you. Not to make make them religious, but to, to, to share, to impart who God is. The mystery of who God is. You know what he told me right then? Well, he called me to be a missionary right there. I'm still with a, I still poured the beer out, but I had, still have a can in my hand. And he called me to be a minister right there. You know, and I'm like, God, because I, I, I actually vowed that before he showed up, I actually vowed. I said, you know, I'll even be religious if I have to. Whatever it takes, but deliver me. I've got to have some help. Just If you deliver me, I'll do anything. I'll even preach if I have to. But actually, he, well, after he showed up, then he goes, well, missionary. Why don't you be a missionary? And I said, I'll do it. I'll go anywhere. I'll even, whatever it takes. I'm not much on religious stuff, but I said, I'll, I can definitely tell them about you. And he called me, Mr. Phil, you know what he said right then? He said, 10 years. And I'm like, and this is strange because, you know, I'm, I'm not like trained in theology on how to hear from God. I know there's a lot of focus on how to do all this exercising to hear from God, but God it's God's pleasure to speak to us it's his desire to be in relationship with us more than anything else he's not trying to clean up a bunch of motley crew people and and make them look better than everybody else on the face of the earth so that they can represent God no he wants fellowship with us he wants to be with us he wants to you know be our friend so anyway when I said uh I said I'll go I'll do everything you know I'll be a missionary he said 10 years and I said, "Oh, so you only want me a missionary 10 years?" he said. I didn't say that. <laughs> I said 10 years. I will speak to you again. And I'm like, "Cool. I filed that in my filing cabinet, in my memory banks." I went off 11 months later, toolbox suitcase, Central America, voluntary orphanage. I loved it. First 3 months there, I said, "That's it. I'm never going home. I'm going to spend the rest of my life till I Till I run into the wall and I'm on the side of the road with nothing to eat and no, and no clothes and nowhere to go and God has left me abandoned, I said, I'm not going home till that day happens. And by the way, 30 years later, I'm still doing it and I've never missed a meal. I've never missed one meal, never missed anything, nothing bad. In my book, in my, in my perspective, God has so blessed me and my family that it is embarrassing the blessing That God has poured out on me and my family. I've raised my kids in the jungle with savage natives. And they're still here today. (laughs) But anyway, he said 10 years. Well, eight years into this, my wife, we're in the jungles. We built, we took a tent. We took a chainsaw. We cut trees down. We made a mission base. We moved out of the tent into the house. Rocky goes, man, it sure is dark in here. Tin roof, you know, wooden walls. I said, Well, you want some windows? She goes, Yeah, it'd help. So I cranked up the old chainsaw. I said, Where do you want them? <laughs> <laughs> and cut holes in the side of our house and made holes so that the light would come in. And we, you know, we built that. And then, so we dug in into the mountains. And I was so zealous, I was pacing back and forth. And I'm going to preach to the natives. I'm going to save the natives. And I'm ready to go. I'm out. Of, I built the house. I'm in the house now. I've got my Bible, and I'm ready to preach. And God says, you ready to minister? I said, yes, I am. You ready to minister? I'm pacing. I'm so excited because I'm a preacher. He goes, well, then put your Bible away and get your chainsaw back out and go to the natives, to the widows, and cut them firewood. What they're hacking away with machetes and axes, you can do in two seconds with your, machete, with your chainsaw. So go just cut some more firewood. And I'm like, God, I didn't want to hear that. I don't want to go cut firewood. I want to preach to the natives. And it's like he said they don't they don't even believe in literacy. My less you're a black Bible that you're going to wave at them. You know, don't forget you're a Martian from another country and you're going to wave a book at them and tell them to get safe, Saved from what? Saved from what? And I'm like, all right, if if we don't have to do that, I mean, we can go with what your plan is if you want. What? <laughs> <laughs> Cut firewood, I guess you know. And it went from that, and all of a sudden they're bringing people to us in hammocks and sickness and disease, and we're just, you know, doing whatever we can, and. Years later, I thought I'd be in there two years. I'm very optimistic. I thought, I'm, I'm not optimistic. I have, I live in hallucinations. I hallucinate about how great things are going to be. But I thought two years, I'll have the church raise up leaders and I'll be gone. Down to the next mission, you know, and five, six years later, we're still there. Nobody's saved. I, I can't even get past thou shalt not kill <laughs> these people. They're killing each other as fast as I sew them up. Some of them come in. And, and I'm sewing up a wound, and they still, I haven't taken the stitches out of the last time I sewed them up. And I've got a gun in my belt, and the other guy that chopped them up's waiting to get sewed up, and they've had a bad fight, and I'm like, you're not coming in here until I get him out of here because you're not fighting in my clinic. All right, all right. <laughs> Sit right there. Be quiet. And I sew this guy up. I lead him past this guy. All right, come on in. I'll take care of you. And anyway, it's just a wild ride for years. But through that, my wife started getting these fear attacks. She started feeling you know, fearful and uh, possibly started when two natives. This woman wanted to ride down from the mountain, so I threw her in the back of the truck, took her to put her. She I'm going to go on the bus to see my parents. All right, see you later. I didn't realize it, but she was escaping from this guy that had taken her like, captive, captive uh, married, not married, but living with her sister. She had a baby, so she came to visit her sister, and he liked her sister as well as he liked his, her. So she, now he had two women and took her papers away, and she was like prisoner. I didn't know the whole story. I just put her on the bus and see you later. Well, him and his brother got all tanked up on fire water and came to visit me with their machetes, and they're going to pin me against the wall and kill me because I took his woman. I'm like, dude, I I got my own woman. I I don't need your woman. But anyway, it started this fear thing going on. And literally at night when the winds blow and the old wooden cabin that I built starts creaking, I would literally crawl from bedroom to bedroom to check on my daughters to make sure they're okay and think that they're gonna, the natives are going to overrun the mission and kill me. So I'm living in fear and all this stuff for weeks, you know. and I'm pacing back and forth, and I'm confessing to God I'm full of fear. I'm going to die. I'm going to get killed. And what's going to happen to the church and the people and the ministry and all this is going to go, what's going to happen to it? God, it's your kid? You brought me here. And you know, God greatly encouraged me. He said, don't worry. He said, if they kill you, I'll send somebody else. <laughs> and I'm like... It's not what I wanted to hear, not exactly my plan, but you know what, it's not really about my plan, <laughs> it's about his plan, but reality is, reality is, if they kill us, James said some two weeks ago, he said, he said, all our persecution, it's not the sinners that's going to persecute you, I have never today been persecuted by the world. The, we live with drug lords all around us, so worse, well, other than two guys, to try a few other cases, but most of the time, the persecution is the church. It's people that are religious, and they want you to be under that, that mode of thought, and thou shalt not mode, and, and you dog, you know, you think you're getting away with a sin? You're not, and they want to put this on you, and, and that's where the persecution comes. But anyway, as we live out the gospel, the Bible says that he has made us ministers, of a new covenant. And there's a verse that is one of my favorite verses. In 2 Corinthians 5. I'm going to read that. I know that everybody probably has it memorized. But it says. It says. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 says. Therefore if any man be in Christ. He is a new creature. Or a new creation. Old things have passed away. And all things have become new. And you know what? That new creation. Part of it is. part, Main part of it is that. The dynamic of living the do's and the don'ts and thou shalt not. That's all new. It's all changed. It's not based on that. It's based on what he's done for us. And it says he has made us ministers of that. I didn't have to go to Bible school to become a minister. You guys have been made ministers of a new covenant. And what we share is so, con- so controversial within the religious, it's, it's, it raises an argument that we are completely different. But you see, if they persecuted Christ, he told his disciples, they'll persecute you. And I'm here to say, if they persecuted the disciples, they're going to persecute us. And we're going to feel rejected. But remember, I started my journey on the side of the road when I met and encountered a living God, a God of love, a God that forgives, a God that heals. I met a God that is so awesome. John 17, 3 says, And this is, and Jesus said this, He said, This is eternal life. Not that you go to the Bible school, become a member of a church. No, this is eternal life, that you would know Him the only true and living God. Uh, This is eternal life, that you would know Him, the only true and living God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. Eternal life is knowing Him. It's about the encounter that we have. And you know what? You can meet God on the pew. You can encounter God on the pew. But reality is you need to meet God on the side of the road. You need to meet God Somewhere where it's just you and Him. You need to meet Him. You need to embrace Him. And the cool thing about it is when He changes and gets rid of all the religious stuff and just gives you, be the light. Be the soul. You don't have to worry about how to share, how to testify. The Romans road, the four spiritual laws, the preconceived idea of how you're going to psychologically through fear or through psychology going to motivate somebody to get saved, lead them through a series of questions and answers until that you preconceived and memorized to get them to quote the verse. I surrender. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to burn that fire. No. Totally not the deal. Totally not the deal. Now God's worked through that because he has to. We're the only option he has. We're it. We're the church. But he prefers... That we just casually, lovingly, live the light and be the light. And the more intense that you encounter that personal walk with God, the more zealous you are about sharing how cool, how awesome God is. We were in El Salvador at this little village. There was one of the, the most awesome people that we've ever met that we led to the Lord, accepted the Lord, born again. And his name was Abel. And Abel uh, received the Lord, and he was awesome. And all of a sudden, two of our friends of our little group in this you know, area were walking down this trail. This guy came out with a knife and tried to kill him. Just the sheer devil. The sheer devil. My two buddies took the knife away from him. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, now what? Took the knife away from him minister to him that he ought not be like that. And then they said, how much did the knife cost you? 25 Q's. They paid him for the knife and said, now, please, leave us alone. Well, this guy was insulted by that. It was a manly thing. It was a testosterone deal. And he was like, you know, oh, I can't believe it. This is so humiliating. This guy took my knife away and then paid me for it. How do I tell How do I live after that? So anyway, It got worse and worse, worse and worse, worse and worse. And then Abel was Abel's father, old and decrepit, you know, like an 80-year-old man, was out in the field hoeing uh, his crops. And and this little kid was there and watching and sitting down. And this guy snuck up behind him and cut off his head. Cut off Abel's father's head. So I hear about it before I talk to Abel. I I get back to the house where, where we all are, where he is. And I find him and his brother sharpening their machetes. And they're mad. Now these guys, they've been saved saved a total of maybe two weeks. So he's sharpening his machete. He says, you've preached grace and all that wonderful stuff, but sometimes it comes down to machetes. So anyway, I'm trying to counsel him like, you know what, it's probably not time to tell you this, but if I were you, I wouldn't do this. I know you can kill him. Do you really want to do that? You're not going to believe what happened. He, he wrestled with that three days. But he would like almost kick me, almost curse me, but at the same time kind of listen to it. But before he had the opportunity to kill him, the guy was caught by the police uh, for being like a gorilla type person. And they had him in jail. So I was happy. See, behind bars, he's safe from my upcoming rising minister here. And uh, <laughs> safe behind bars from my people. But anyway, so I'm talking to Abel. I said, Abel, I said, you know what would be the ultimate? He goes, what? I said that we would go minister to him. Oh, man. He almost he almost decked me right there. I'm like, you think about it, man. This is about your freedom now. This is about you forgiving. It's about you now. It's not about him. It's about walking, you know. So anyway, I finally Get him to agree to go see him. He's so angry. He's such a battle in the flesh. He doesn't know how he's going to, what he's going to say, but he's willing to go with me. So, him and I, the jailer says, Who do you want to see? We want to see some. So, okay, I'll take you back there. Uh, I have to be right there because this is, you know, serious stuff. So, jailer's with us. Jailer, me, and Abel. and we go back there. And you know what? Just like on the side of the road, when that mantle came on me, the anointing of God. As we approached the cell, the guy was standing a foot behind the bars. And he saw a bell. A bell had that mantle. And it was unbelievable. It was literally Jesus Christ in him. Transformed him. Abel walked up and stuck his hand right through the bar and took him by the hand. And he said, you see where the devil has you? You see where the devil has you? This is what I was talking about. God wants to give you life, an abundant life. This is what the devil has for you. Kill, steal, and destroy, and ultimately take your life. The guy fell to his knees crying. I don't know why I did it. I don't know why I did it. I don't know why I did it. I'm so sorry. He says, I forgive you. And he ministered and he led him to the Lord right there through the bars. And we started to leave, and I said, whoa, dude, that was, how, what happened? He goes, it was God. I said, you know, the Bible says don't worry about what you're going to say. Just trust that the Holy Spirit will speak through you. There again, it's not about theology. It's about the encounter with God. He encountered Jesus. And, poof, God shows up. He's the temple of God. The mansion in the sky, the sweet by and by and the streets of gold are so ridiculous compared to what the actual dwelling places, spiritual dwelling places that God lives in, which is us. We are the mansions. He is dwelling in us. We're not waiting for a mansion up there. I want to be on the streets of gold. So does everybody else in the world. They're building them all over here on earth. But our focus is anyway. So before we get to to leave the jail, the jailer grabs our arms and says, "Guys, whoa, 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 whoa! Turn around here." He says, "My wife's always been a Christian, but in my type of job where I have to beat people, torture people, imprison people, I knew I could never become religious like my wife." But what I just experienced wasn't religious. And I want that. If God can forgive him, I believe that God can forgive me. And we said yes, he can. And he accepted the Lord. So the big question is how much do we really want to let God live through us? How much do we really want to embrace What God has given us. The most incredible thing about it all. Is it's no longer about us. We're talking about. Healing and prosperity. Blessings and. Victory. We talk about it because it's part of the Bible. But reality is. I'm scared to pray for what. Enters my heart because I know. If I do God will give it to me. I don't. I don't really want what I want. Because I know I'm piece of meat you know all these senses going off so I don't even ask I just say God whatever you give me all my life has always been way better than I've ever even dreamed of that I could want it's just been so much better so remember I said that in 10 years God said in 10 years I'm going to speak to you remember I said that when I first started my testimony on the side of the road drunk beer in my hand, broke I didn't tell you I had a broken arm from fighting. Called me to be a preacher, minister. I'm thinking religious, you know, Lutheran priest with a little square tie, you know, I'm thinking, geez, man, I guess it's better than being dead, so you know (laughs) I guess if I have to, whatever it takes. But he said, I'm gonna speak to you again in ten years. We're up in the mountains, we're living through this jungle thing, my wife's feeling fear, I'm feeling fear. All of a sudden my wife's raised Catholic, so she's living this thing of... And I'm, you know, beating her over the head with the law. The, the, you know, I didn't understand the grace of God in the first ten years. And I'm, like, beating her with a... I'm, like, beating her with a scripture. You know, and even one night she's scared and she's having this fear attack. She's literally... The whole bed starts shaking like it's vibrating. I'm like, honey, what's the matter? She goes, I don't think I'm saved. I'm like, honey, you're a missionary. <laughs> course you're saved. (laughs) She goes, if I died, I don't know, I'd go to heaven. Isn't that awful? To think that if you die, you might not go to heaven. So we're still under the law for a few years, and I'm zealous with the law, and I've learned to put people under fear, motivate people, all kind of stuff to get them saved. And I'm thinking, you know what, I'm thinking... She needs, a, she needs a sabbatical. I need to get her out of the jungle. Get her back to civilization. Get her away from the killings and all this stuff. So I said, all of a sudden, God dropped in my heart. I told you I was going to speak to you in 10 years. You know what? It was exactly 10 years. So we come to Florida. This missionary friend of ours that, that had this apartment in South Florida, South Orange, gave us a little apartment. We just moved in there. We had Tiffany... We had Kayla. Chelsea wasn't born yet. And my first week there, I walk into assembly, uh, Calvary Assembly, the Bible store. I'm going to load up on some good books. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, God's going to speak to me. I'm here. I'm here. <clears throat> so I go in the bookstore. I'm going to talk about it. And guess who's there? Kenny. Yeah. <laughs> Kenny's on the other side of the bookstore. Kenny and Rocky were friends before I got married, before I even met Rocky. Oh, hey, my God! You know, Kenny, loud. Man, my whole life has changed. I'm like, what are you talking about? He started telling me about the grace of God. Start telling me about the new covenant, watching the blood. And I'm listening about three, you know the Spirit of God witnesses to when people speak stuff, or you hear stuff, all of a sudden, bing, the Holy Spirit said, Yeah. Well, I started hearing something special, something different. I started hearing life. I said, Kenny. You're coming home with me right now. Get in a car. <laughs> going to see Rocky. She needs this desperately. So we go to the house. Kenny sits there in about 30 minutes, shares the grace of God. And everything in your being says, yes, yes, yes. So about 30 minutes into it, I said, This is the answer. This is why God spoke to us. I said, He's gonna speak to us, and it's about the grace of God. So he goes, I said, How'd you learn this stuff? Who are you talking to, Kenny? He goes, James Barron. This guy, he's an attorney. I said, oh, great. He's practicing law and he's preaching grace. Wonderful. <laughs> James Barron." So I said, all right, cool. we got to meet this guy. And we go to him and Cindy's apartment. And it's just like, you know what I'm talking about? You, that's, so I'm bringing you up to date. We met James just like he did. All of a sudden we start hearing truth. And truth is going, yes, yes, yes. And everything in you. So I can remember the first month or so of hearing and reaping thinking the whole covenant deal and the new wineskin. We're new wineskins. The old wine can't go in the new wineskin or the new wine can't go in the old wineskin because they just rip it apart. And I want to be a new wineskin. I can remember laying in bed, reading Galatians, shutting the Bible and saying, my God, I've been preaching for 10 years and I just now understand the message. So I heard that, and then I, then I also felt, I have to be honest, I felt in my heart, I'm like, God, if you knew I was going to get all religious and pharisaical, why didn't you just tell me I'll speak to you in two years? <laughs> oh, one one year, you know? We didn't have to wait ten years. I've got a short life here, and I'm trying to get going here, and you wait a whole decade? And, and I feel like, God didn't say this, but I'm, I feel like it's because I couldn't have received it then. I could not have received it then. I could have been just like Paul. Paul was zealous for God. And really in his heart, he was probably thinking, I'm going to do everything I can to stop these religious, these, this cult from starting this preaching of the grace of God and all this stuff and sacrifice and the Ten Commandments and Moses and all this stuff. And Paul was probably, his zeal led him to be a murderer. He didn't just kill people. You don't just say, okay, I'm going to take you. You're going to get the death penalty and they're going to put you in a little thing and lethal injection and you're going to go away and the lights are going off and it's done. No. He drug them out of the houses. He tortured them through the power of the devil and he imprisoned them. But if God, in his mercy would see somebody like that on the side of the road and go to him, say, this is my man, and actually call him right there to be a minister. David, that he started raising up as a little kid, anointed him, blessed him, raised him up supernaturally, and David, in a fleeting moment, walked out on the rooftop and saw somebody else's wife And in up moment, invested his power in taking what he wanted in the flesh. And then once he had it, all of a sudden, oh my God, she's pregnant. Oh my God, now what am I going to do? So it went from being an adulterous king to now what am I going to do? And he launched out in the flesh again and he said, all right, all right, all right, all right, bring her husband in. Hopefully he'll sleep together, you know, and uh, nobody will know. It didn't work out like that. He came back and he was such a loyal, awesome man. He said, with my men out in the battlefield, there's no way I can lay with my wife. Great, great. So he went from that to, the only way to do this is kill him. The most loyal man, one of the most loyal men in his kingdom's, Think of this. He sends them into battle and he tells everybody else pull back. Think of the where he went to where he was headed blinded by the enemy. He completely unraveled his whole life. His whole life was unraveled. Everybody in the army knew what he was doing to this most awesome man. And they lost all faith in David. If he could do that to him, well, what does that say about what he would do to me? He completely ruined his entire life, ministry, name. And he did it premeditatively. But yet, David, under the anointing, prophesied. He prophesied, Psalm 51. He prophesied something that's not in the Old Testament Mosaic Covenant. It's not in the law of Moses to forgive you if you've committed adultery, you've murdered, you've done all these terrible things, premeditatively especially. It's not in anywhere written that God would forgive you. But yet the anointing of God came on him. And he said, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He prophesied the new covenant. He cried and he felt the anointing. And he said, then I'll lead sinners. Then I'll lead people to you. You know what the end of the story is of David's life? He said, David, God said this. He said, David, a man after my own heart. No matter what you've done, no matter what you think you don't deserve, I'm I'm here to tell you it's irrelevant. It's not about you. It's not about what you've done, thought about doing, or thinking about doing. It's not about what you're doing right now, had done, or are going to do. And that's a scary thought. But it's the ministry of the new covenant. God loves you when we can get our heads around that, we will run. We will run to the world. We will go to the lost. We will consider it a privilege to allow God to be exemplified through us. Um... Philippians 3 8 says, And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is of God. By faith. Oh, that I may know him. Oh, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Being made conformable unto his death. Second Corinthians five twenty says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray, you and Christ stand. Be ye reconciled to God. For he has made him. To be sin for us. Who knew no sin. That we might be made. The righteousness of God. Paul in Acts. uh, 24 says. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear. Unto myself. So that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. We are so out of this world, folks. We are so different. We are so different. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation set apart to shine. Thank you Sure, sure, I'd like to pray because the devil's going to constantly try to stop us from being this. just you know an apple tree have you ever went up to, under an apple tree and saw it and heard groans and Ugh! apples apples uh, whoo, 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 apples, whoo, whoo. apples are there because it's an apple tree. We are Christians because the Holy Spirit within us is living through us. And you don't have to plan this. You can kind of wing this. You can kind of just relax and live this and allow God to live through you. You'll, turn, you'll meet people You'll and all of a sudden God will use you in ways you've never... But you got to be... you got to be new covenant minded. New covenant minded. Right? So my prayer is that you would go out of here and never be the same ever I don't care if God heals me or not I I don't even pray that I mean Paul says I don't know if I want to be here or not I would much rather go I guess if I need to be here for y'all I guess I will but to live is Christ to die is gain so we don't have any oh death where oh grave where is your victory oh death where is your sting If we grab that now and we live that the rest of our lives, i tell you what, the devil trembles. Literally, when I feel the supernatural enemy attacking me and coming against my life, it is great comfort to know when it's so supernatural and so blatant that it's only the devil. It is only the devil. I find great comfort knowing this is not a natural circumstance. It's supernatural and if it's supernatural, what do I have to fear? If God before me, who can be against me? It's only the devil. Jeez. Good. I'll go back to sleep. But anyway, I want to pray that when you walk out of here, you'll be be heavenly minded. You'll be new covenant minded. And it's not about us. Remember, it's Him in you. So, y'all want to pray? Amen. Father, we just pray for your Holy Spirit. To give that revelation to make that part of us. Make that life run through our thoughts and through our, through our being. That every Adam in our being would remember that. Help us always remember the covenant of grace. Help us always depend on and wait for the anointing to empower us, to give us wisdom, to give us words to speak. Help us remember that when we pray over people, it's not us, but it's you praying through us. It's not about our life. It's your life in us. And I pray, God, for a supernatural anointing over this congregation, over this group of believers. That they would never, ever allow the devil to beat them in the head over who they are or what they've done or what they're contemplating. But that we would know right now, once and for all, that it's about the finished work of the cross. And we, re- we embrace that. We ask You, God, to help us be weak before You, no confidence in our own flesh, and wholly trusting in You. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.